Welcome to Ion Franchising. Are you looking for business opportunities? Well, you are in the right place. We represent over 650 franchises and business opportunities. We will help you find your perfect franchise for free. We even have a free assessment on our website that will help us determine what the best business is for you based on your investment level, mindset, skill set, and life experiences. This is Ion Franchising, where we share our vision for your franchise future. I'm your host, Lance Growlick. Each week, we will speak to fascinating folks from the world of franchising, franchisors and founders, franchise funders, and franchisees. Are you looking to find your perfect franchise? Or perhaps you are an independent business owner looking to grow and scale your business by setting up a franchise. Either way, our team can help you. Ion Franchising, where you will learn the A to Zs of franchising. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of Ion Franchising. I am your host, Lance Gralick. So today, the first individual I'd like to introduce, he's been in the home services business. He's been in the commodities business. Think pork bellies. Now, we'll talk about that later. Uh, financial services business. He's been there as an owner. And today, he is director of franchise development for The Grounds Guys. Welcome, John Dobblebauer. Thanks so much for having us. Well, I'm so happy that you spent some time with me this morning or will be spending some time with me this morning. Yes, sir. And next, next up, he is the president, El Presidente. Uh, 20 years of business experience. He's got an MBA from University of Piss- Pittsburgh, Boo Steelers. Uh, and he previously <laughs> led a company all the way to 800 locations. So this gentleman is Josh Sevick, president of The Grounds Guys, a neighborly company. Welcome, Josh. Well, thanks, Lance. I really appreciate you having us here, even with the Steeler digs. And I'll tell you that. Oh, did I say my, that? Oh, my, my Steelers yeah. are uh, the worst team I've seen in a long time, and they still made the playoffs. So, so figure <laughs> that one out, right? You know what? I give you all the credit in the world for that because that is so true. <laughs> so, gentlemen, as you already know by now, this is a show. It's everything. I have my eye on franchising all about franchising. There were plenty of people listening that have plenty of business experience and maybe don't know much about franchising. And then we have the first time franchisees. So people always love to know everything about a brand and why they should invest in in your particular brand. So before we get to the meat of that matter, uh, let's let's start with your background. Uh, John, give us a little little additional uh, sort of backstory. How did you get in the franchise world? Yeah, so it's actually pretty interesting. I'm somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, Lance. I've done all sorts of different things in the past. Started my first business when I was in college. It was actually in the home service business. So we did uh, house painting and that sort of thing. Grew multiple locations. Ended up selling that business after college to go into the financial services world, right? Uh, And I started at Northwestern Mutual. And so I, I thought I was a financial planner, but in reality, I was a life insurance salesman, right? Right, right. Tried to kind of figure out that whole business, but not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, no, of course, of course, right. So had some success there. They they asked me to open a location here in Waco, which is where I'm from originally. So came back to Waco, started that location. Uh, One thing led to another. One of my customers in the financial services business actually asked me to invest in this commodities business that you were talking about. It was scrap metal recycling glands, and so I ended up 
investing in the that business, grew that business quite a bit, ended up having really high revenue uh, and, and that sort of thing. So everything was uh, kind of rolling, right? But I found myself working, you know, 90, 100 hour weeks. And I had a one-year-old daughter at the time, stayed home wife. She said, hey, this isn't going to work. And, uh, and I realized, man, I don't have any systems in place for my family. And uh, it was kind of a God thing, right? At that point, one of the neighborly people reached out to me and said, hey, what, what do you think about franchising? And so I'm just kind of clicked for me, Lance, because it's like, hey, if I could put people on the path of entrepreneurship, uh, I can show them the way and the lifestyle that I've been able to enjoy and live, but I, they don't have to do the 90, 100 hour weeks, right? And they can right. have the flexibility and the schedule. Uh, that really resonated with me. So I came over and the rest is history. I love it. I love it. That's a, that's a great story. Perfect. Josh, let's hear it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know that mine's as fun, but I, did, I didn't start in franchising. I'll tell you that. I, um, I was, started my career in the, in the late 90s and uh, I was a financial analyst for one of the big banks and uh, realized I you know, really was into kind of the analytics and the finance uh, side of the world. So I spent probably the next decade in, uh, in healthcare and technology companies uh, focused on finance and analytics primarily. And uh, it was, uh, I just happened into franchising. So I had started a small business uh, working with entrepreneurs that you know, had uh, generational companies that no longer were gonna be generational because the next generation didn't want them. And uh, they needed a plan for, hey, how do I monetize this, right? We've built this for, uh, for generations and how do we monetize this? Through working with them, I ended up coming on board with a, uh, a private equity group that, that focused on uh, on franchising. And the first the first deal we did, we had acquired a small uh, services organization, about 100 locations, and 50 of them were were failing. Uh, we acquired that, and during the uh, during the transition, we realized the management team uh, wasn't fit to actually run the business. And so I was asked to just step in. I didn't know much about franchising, right? Um, I knew McDonald's and a few other things, but uh, so I stepped in. Like and, most people. And, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't leave, right? I, I was there for six plus years, uh, ended up as the CEO of that company long-term. And we took it from those hundred locations and uh, grew it to about uh, 800 locations and 17 countries and ended up in 2019, we, um, we sold the business to uh, one of the major insurance companies that needed a network for that service. And so it was, uh, it was certainly a wonderful experience and ride. But what I learned in that process, just, you know, just happening to trip into franchising, what I learned is that I love it. And I love it because it's one of those businesses. And this is a, a general tagline you hear now, but it's so true with franchising is, you know, you can do good uh, or you can do well by doing good. And with right. franchising, it's about changing people's lives. It's about helping people achieve their goals. I want to become an entrepreneur. I want the independence. I want the ability to provide for other people, right? To be generous. To, and these things don't happen on their own. If you look at the rates of you know, entrepreneur failures, they're not great, right? But then you look at them and juxtapose them to the franchising industry and, and what an increase in probability of success is whenever you've got a partner, a good partner. Not all franchisors are created the same. Uh, when you've got a good partner behind you that's supporting you, it's, you know, um, helping you achieve success. It's powerful. And I am, I'm fully addicted to um, just the, the fulfillment that I get in the franchising space. And I, I built a team uh, right now that, um, that feels the same way. And so we are having fun uh, and we're doing really well. 
It's always good to have fun. That's right. That's right. You know, it's it's interesting. You you said uh, you got to unpack some of what you said because that's a perfect place to start. You know, I, I've I've certainly failed in my first marriage. So person, your personal life, like like your business, you have to pick the right partner. And franchising is no different. So when it comes to what you said about some of the failures, the failing businesses that you inherited, let's start. Let's start with that with you and John from what you've seen in your lifetime. Um, you know, why do businesses fail? Yeah, that's a really um, it's interesting because I've had uh, the luxury, the opportunity, and frankly, the disappointment sometimes to see. Uh, this firsthand. And what I would tell you is this, and this isn't the bottom line. This isn't factual. This is my opinion, right? Right. Uh, I've had the opportunity to sit over, you know, well more than a thousand franchise owners to see them, to see them starting their businesses, growing it. Rarely ever is it that business owners um, aren't able to deliver a good service. That is so rare. Typically, people that get into this, they want to deliver a good service. They're in it because they enjoy that, right? And it's, it's difficult to run a business, but I also see them doing pretty well at running a business, right? Uh, managing multiple teams and crews mm-hmm. and uh, managing customer expectations and billing and invoicing, all of this kind of stuff. I see them do well. The thing that kills, especially small businesses and absolutely startup businesses, um, it's cash flow. It's cash flow and financial management. That is the thing that kills them because usually by the time they figure out there's a problem, it's too late. Yeah. And so we focus so heavily on mapping out the first year for our entrepreneurs. We don't want them overbuying equipment, resources, staffing. We say, you know, conserve the cash. We'll tell you when it's time to expand. We'll tell you when it's time to buy the additional equipment, the, the vehicles, et cetera. Um, business is tough at on its own, right? You don't need to make your own problems. And so um, we're pretty... <laughs> paternalistic in that regard, right? We, we think, hey, it's our responsibility to make sure that our new owners understand the impact of what they're doing. And we have to have a plan for them to quickly get to profitability. John, how do you think about that? No, I, I feel exactly the same way, Josh. I think ultimately it does boil down to cash flow, but, but I think overarching, right? It's how do I develop a system to manage not only the cash flow, but all the other things that go along with business ownership? You know, everyone says business ownership's like running with the chicken with your head cut, uh, chicken with your head cut off, right? So it's it's one of these things you're running 9 million different directions. All the mom and pops out there, listen, these guys are the accountant, right? They're the marketer. They're the head broom pusher. They're doing every single thing <laughs> in the business wearing every single hat. And I know, you know, the startups that I've been involved with, right? I was no different. I was working all these different hours. It's because I didn't have those systems in place. Well, listen, Josh, it's really easy to take your eye off of cash flow, right? It's really easy to take your eye off of responding to a review or or any of these other sort of granular things that you need to do on a day-to-day basis to run an excellent business. It's hard to do when you're one person, right? But The thing that's nice about franchising is when you have a system, when you have a support network, and Lance, Neighborly has over 5,000 franchise owners, right? 5,000 of your closest friends are going through the exact same thing. We have franchise business coaches. We have local marketing specialists. We have 130 people in our marketing department alone, right? All these different people are there to support our owners, uh, to take some of those hats off of them so that they can focus on what they really need to focus on, 
which is growing a significant and substantial business. Yeah. And, and I know, uh, having been a business owner multiple times myself, five times, I think, capital is, cash is certainly king, but it still never ceases to amaze me how there are people that just don't work. They finally get to business ownership and they kind of feel like they take a breath and, and they're good now. They're their own boss. They can do what they want. They can hire their family and they forget to work and, and, and really follow through. So it's kind of crazy to me. And then, of course, people hire the wrong people. I've never, I, you know, McDonald's, certain franchisees, you notice inconsistencies. You walk into a store and say, is this a corporate store? Is this a franchise store? And I don't know what's better, but it's different. It's not the same. And, and uh, so that inconsistency in some brands I see fairly often, but uh, you know, I certainly have an ops background for sure. And I always pay attention. My wife can't stand it. I'm always looking at everything that's going on. So let's get to the good stuff. Now, the grounds guys, let's talk about what is the grounds guys? What's the investment level? Who are you looking for? How many franchisees do you have now? All that good stuff. That's great. John, why don't you, why don't you just kick us off and then I'll, uh, I'll come in and kind of clean that up. Yeah, sure. So, so the Grounds Guys is actually part of a group of home service franchise brands called Neighborly Land. Uh, and you might be familiar with a couple of the other brands that we own uh, besides the Grounds Guys. Of course I am. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, besides the Grounds Guys, of course, we own a plumbing franchise called Mr. Rooter Plumber and a glass company called the Glass Doctor. Mr. Electric, Mr. Appliance, et cetera, right? There's 29 different brands in total, uh, which makes us by far the world's largest home service franchisor. Last you year, guys, you guys do a couple of billion dollars a year, right? Yeah, I was just about to say last year we did about 3.1 billion in business. So we're we're pretty big, right? But more specifically for the grounds guys, the grounds guys is the largest residential lawn maintenance company in the United States, as well as Canada. Uh, but we don't just do lawn maintenance. That's actually a small part of what we do. We're a full service landscaping company. Uh, what I mean by that, right? We do things like weed and fertilization treatments, kind of like what you'd think about with True Green or the Lawn Doctor. That's their one service vertical. We have 26 different service verticals. We do wow, things that's like, awesome. Yeah, we, we do things like hardscapes, irrigation systems, artificial turf, snow removal. Lance, we even put up Christmas lights in the winter, right? Like, Pretty much anything that you can love do it. that takes place outside of the home or office. That's kind of where we live. Yeah. And, you know, John, everybody today, even if they don't know if a franchise is right for them, and we'll talk about that point later, um, everybody's talking about multiple revenue streams. How many different revenue streams can you have? So I love that you're talking about that. Yeah. Well, it, and why do we have all those different streams, Lance? It's really to have a service for every single season. Yes. Whether it's spring, summer, fall, or winter, what we know is that business owners need consistent cash flow really for two reasons, right? Number one is the obvious. You're going to want consistent cash flow as a business owner, right? Uh, but number two, you also want to retain top quality talent. It's going to be really hard to retain top quality people if you're having to lay them off at the end of every season. So yeah, I always start with that, Lance, because I think the biggest misconception about the grounds, guys, is that all we do is cut grass. We do it six to nine months out of the year. That really couldn't be further from the truth. Love it. Yeah, that's great, John. Uh, good overview. It, Lance, it's an interesting uh, industry. And I'll tell you how we got here because the grounds guys didn't just happen in terms of the space in the market that we've carved out. So landscaping uh, right now, just in the U.S. alone, uh, will exceed $100 billion in 2022. 
Um, so we're talking a massive industry and it's highly fragmented. So there's no concentration. So when we look at that industry, the largest player by far is maybe 3% of that. And they, and they don't even play anywhere near uh, our space typically. They, the other thing you see is there's about 500,000 um, businesses within the landscaping industry. And you've got this very, um, think of it as, as bimodal, or you've almost got these polar opposites um, in terms of the, the players in our industry. You've got a couple really massive, large commercial. They only focus on commercial business providers. And then you have hundreds of thousands of, you know, we... Uh, we call them kind of chucking the trucks, uh, not disrespectfully, but that's our category for them. Or staying in the van. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's one or two man operations that are out there doing good work, right? And they're hitting maybe uh, 30, 40, 50 lawns, right? And they're doing that. And that's that's what our industry is made up of it primarily. And so when we look at this industry, we say, hey, there's a beautiful opportunity for us. And we think of high-end residential, and we think of local commercial, those two markets look very similar. And so we don't want to ever uh, be providing services for someone that say needs their grass cut because they just want to make sure they aren't getting um, you know, notices from the community saying your grass is too high. That is not our customer. We focus very much on folks that want to have the best looking lawn and landscape in the community. And whether that's a high-end residential customer or whether that's a, a local commercial customer, that's our guy. And what we've done is we've carved out a niche that gives us long-term recurring relationships. Um, typically, these things are four or five years long um, with significant margins as well, uh, much higher uh, margins than what we see in the industry at large. Love it. So the investment for a franchise and how big is the territory? Let's talk about that. That's right yeah. up John's alley. Yeah, sure. So if you go to our item seven and our FTD, Lance, it's going to say anywhere between 80 and 200,000. Right. Here's what I'll tell you. The vast majority of our owners come in with about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, whether that's through an express SBA loan or through a Rob's program or cash or whatever. Doesn't matter. They'll come in with about one fifty. That is enough to buy a new truck, new trailer, new mower, new equipment, startup marketing, pay the franchise fee in full, the whole nine yards and still have about 50, 60,000 left in working capital to go out and really run and ramp up the business. Okay, so from an investment standpoint, it, it's pretty low. Uh, the franchise fee is obviously a, a subset of that. It's a very low franchise fee. Uh, and because of that, Lance, we do get way more people applying for business ownership than we award franchises to. So what we're really looking for are people that have a proven successful track record, right? Someone that uh, can understand how to run a business, whether they've done it or not, right? but they have sort of those intrinsic traits. Those are the people that we look for and ultimately who we award franchises to, so. Got it. If you're gonna look at your top franchisees, if I gave you guys a minute, although I don't have to, uh, but if, you know, if I gave you a minute to commiserate and, and compare notes and you came up with the list of your top 10 franchisees, what do they all have in common? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And we spend a lot of time looking at that lamp. So it's pretty easy um, for us to answer um, those questions. Uh, number one, uh, they're great, great people managers. So when we look at our top owners, we say all the time, hey, like any business, we think of this, this is a people business. So our top owners have adhered to the systems that we put in place. And we can talk about those uh, at some point if you'd like. We have some very specific processes and systems that we have in place to manage people. 
And uh, so they do a great job at managing people. Um, they manage the customer really well. Uh, when you look at the grounds guys, our net promoter score. So think of it as customer, uh, our customer satisfaction rates yeah. uh, are incredibly high. We're talking high 80s, meaning that we are higher than the brands you would think of Ritz-Carlton, uh, Apple, uh, whoever it is that you think of as being, hey, the gold standard, we have yeah. a higher uh, customer satisfaction net promoter score than these brands. And it doesn't happen by chance. It happens because we're proactively targeting these type of uh, behaviors. And so those are really, those are largely the things that we see. Somebody that comes in uh, is diligent about focusing on what we're asking them to do in the business. You do not have to know landscaping to be a grounds guy, right? That's not what this thing is all about. Certainly a lot of our owners maybe have some experience or just really like the idea of the space, but that's not what it's about. And I'd say the third thing is the owners that achieve really significant levels of sales and scaling of their organization have done uh, a great job at building up leaders in their organization so that they can focus on the business. And it, it didn't start that way. They were probably, you know, they were probably working in the business early on, right? right. Trying to sprint through that break even, you know, so that they're making money. But they've learned, hey, how do I actually run a business? And that's what our coaches do. They take owners from day one and they groom them to become, you know, somewhat sophisticated business owners. People that are managing the financials, people that are looking at planning and long range planning, people that are saying, hey, what are the specific activities that we're going to do this year to drive up our margins, right? Things that, that take intentionality, those are the things that we see our top owners doing. It's pretty amazing how when, I mean, franchising just works and let's let's dig in a little bit more. When, if I was going to ask you, those top owners, those top 10 owners, where did they come from? How old are they? Uh, what did they, what were their, what were their occupations or careers prior to joining the grounds guys as franchisees? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, and, and John, feel free to hop in at any point, but when, when I look at the top 10 right now, uh, we have a few that came in, were existing, had small businesses, just like a lot of uh, what we see in the industry, couldn't quite figure out how to scale and came into the grounds guys and we helped them scale. Uh, we've got folks that were, um, you know, executives and organizations, things like John Deere, uh, head of engineering and things like that, that have said, hey, we're interested in actually running a business, building something for ourselves now. Um, we've got that group uh, in that top 10. And then we have people that literally came in, never having done anything in the landscaping industry, yeah. um, that have built businesses, have followed the practices, and have learned how to manage people, how to manage process, uh, how to keep customers happy. Um, so in our top 10, we have all of those segments covered. Yeah, perfect. John, anything to add to that? Well, I would say this. I would. Every single one of those owners has a servant's heart, though, right? And, and, and even previous to uh, business ownership, we, we've got a guy, Jeff Baker, for example. He's one of our franchisees, Lance. This guy uh, was in the military before before he ended up transitioning to business ownership he actually was a police officer his wife was on him saying hey this is a really dangerous occupation and we're not going to get to where we need to be financially he took a huge leap of faith this guy had no business background had no landscaping background was in law enforcement as a public service officer but he brought that servant's mentality servant's heart right uh, and he was able to really 
grow a significant business. There's a million of those stories, Lance. And that's that's what yep. kind of gets me going in the morning is seeing a guy go from uh, a situation that maybe wasn't ideal, right, for his life. And now he's uh, invested not only back into himself and his family, but all of his employees as well. So, yeah, I love, I, I absolutely love those stories. It's, it's always amazing. It never ceases to amaze me as a broker and, and as a franchise broker and consultant. I talk to people as like you guys do every day, uh, prospective franchisees. And some of them definitely come with very specific passions based on what their current career is and what they think they want to do with a franchise. And as you guys certainly know, but I want to share with the listeners, I explained to people, I said, most often I'm finding people a franchise that has nothing to do with their current career. They're just working off of the talents or skills that they've developed in their current career. Like you said earlier, the people skills, communication skills, whatever it might be to be a great franchisee. Because at the end of the day, when people want financial freedom, they want that flexibility. And obviously, most importantly, they do want a profit at the end of the day. <laughs> so, you know, what is best for them? So let's also jump into with the grounds guys, you can be a semi-absentee owner. Let's talk about, you know, in the world of franchising, there are brands that do mandate you would have to be an owner operator. You have to run this 40 hours a week. That is not necessarily the case with the grounds guys or most of the neighborly brands last I've checked. So tell us a little bit about how you launch as a semi-absentee owner or what percentage of successful owners launch and just hire a manager. And, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I do want to clarify one thing sure. before we begin. So when we say semi-absentee, the emphasis is on semi and not on absentee, right? right. Got it. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, what, I, what I mean by that is, um, listen, you, you have to have a finger on the pulse of your business on a day-to-day -day basis. You need to know and understand what's going on. You need to know your team, right? Does that mean that you need to be, you know, running the day-to-day -day operation of the business? No. I, I think about it like this, Lance, I'll... You know, I think about the most well-known franchise out there, right? We brought it up a couple of times, McDonald's. Lance, when's the last time you walked into a McDonald's and you saw the owner standing behind the counter? Doesn't happen. Never. Right? So the same thing is true here. We're an executive level ownership model, right? Our business owners are tasked with running a business. They're not tasked with going out and being on the tools. They're not tasked with being the best landscape designers, right? And to go alongside that, right? That's how semi-absentee ownership works with us because ultimately, if they have the capacity to go and hire those right personnel, whether it's a general manager or landscape designer, whatever it is, if they have the capacity to do that, there's nothing saying that they have to be there on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'd love to get Josh's take as well. Yeah, no, and John, you're, John's right on that. And John has really helped us refine some of these things as well. And what I'll tell you is uh, with the grounds guys, we, we can't really profile, hey, this is the background or this is the previous experience that we want you to have because exactly what we said, our top 10 is filled with people from all over. All over. A lot of different things. What we've done is flip it to, hey, here are the things that we want to see, right? We want to see that you've had um, some achievement in the past, right? We want to see that you have a desire to be in this industry. And we want to see that you really care about taking care of people um, because it's all about, we have a, a code of care that we operate on 
if the grounds guys and uh, and I'll just I'll say it for you here. If the ground guys, if the grounds guys, we show that we care by putting the needs of our customers first, by always having a positive and helpful attitude, and by treating everyone and everything with respect, by living our code of value values, we enjoy life in the process. And that isn't window dressing. Our owners that are successful, they use that in their business. And at some point, maybe we talk about how we start our day. Every owner starts their day the same way with their people gets them centered and focused on serving the customer. Our owners are focused on serving, you know, their employees, right? And it's a, it's, it's a special circle that we have. For us right now, I believe, and John can tell you the stats, I think maybe um, the folks that reach out to us, once we get everybody through the funnel, I, John, it's less than 5% of folks that would actually kind of clear kind of our approval process, right? And it isn't always um, who you would think. Um, they're people that we think want to be in this business, will follow what we're asking them to do, will be diligent and have the right heart. And we take care of the heavy lifting. So when you come into this business, you come in with the best business management software in the industry day one, the best landscape design software, the best financial software, the best talent acquisition software, the best market. We have these tools crafted. We've got an entire um, portfolio of this stuff, right? We're looking for the right people to plug in that'll do the work. And it's not a no-brainer, right? This is tough stuff. And I, I always laugh when I hear people saying, just, just show up and you can print money. That, that's not it. This is business, <laughs> right? Business is inherently tough no matter what you do. We get you farther. We've got consultants that meet with you every couple of weeks, right? That are coaching you, helping you understand what's next. I always kind of operate off of the perspective that there is no finish line. Yeah. In business, yeah. right? It's, it's a game that lasts forever. And so you want to make sure that you've got people around you pushing you to always be better, to focus. Doesn't mean you have to work harder or more hours, right? It means we have to work a little bit smarter. And I, and I heard, Lance, what you said earlier. Uh, it amazes you sometimes that people think at some point they get to the place where they put it in cruise control and just roll on. And the people that really get in trouble with that are those that haven't built an organization and sustain that has persistence past their day-to-day -day interaction, right? Exactly. The time you can step away is when you build a business with all of the leaders in place and you put yourself out of a job, right? Trying yeah. to step away from a business that needs you is, is big trouble. Absolutely. You know, both of you guys have mentioned so far a lot of different things about really about your culture. One of the things about franchising that so many people don't realize is not only is it the amazing training and systems that you would get and coaches from the grounds guys, it's the existing franchisees and the best practices that are in place. Because, you know, normally in business, not being a franchise, you're going to have a hundred different questions almost daily about how should I do this? And how should, you know, whether it's marketing, purchasing, operations, whatever it might be, cleaning issues, you know, with your brand having all of those great franchisees as resources as well, you know, everybody, everybody has a vested interest in this. Everybody has the same common goal of building equity in their franchise so that they can sell for, you know, a, a nice multiple someday. Is that not the reason that, that I mean, in, in some cases, you might have multi-generational franchisees. Uh, I, I would imagine you do, but others build up a nice business and sell it after seven years. Right. That's right. And I, the thing I would say, and I tell every new owner this, we meet with um, in very small groups, sometimes individually, 
uh, with folks that are candidates that are looking at the business. And I want to talk to them and tell them what it's really like. And uh, I want to make sure they want you know be here with the right expectations. And one of the things I always tell them is, hey, I'm not asking you to place a value on this right now, but I'm going to tell you this and we can talk in a couple of years. And you can tell me it's right. The number one return on investment that you'll get whenever you invest in the grounds, guys, it's going to be the people to the left and the people to the right of you. My job and our team's job is to make sure you have everything you need, the right support. Sometimes it's the right kick in the rear end. Um, we're here to provide you with the systems, et cetera. But the, the value that is it's somewhat intangible and you can't actually build it if you don't have it is it's that internal franchise owner to franchise owner um, commitment connection. I just read some uh, research recently is I've been looking into a few health oriented things and they say, hey, whenever you're doing any kind of a, a health program, you know, the persistence or your success rate goes way up whenever you're doing it with others. That's what happens in a franchise organization. I've run three of them and I haven't seen one like this. And I'll give you an example. One of our franchise owners, uh, somebody that just has a great heart for this business, uh, as many of ours do, years ago started a uh, Facebook group for owners only. He started it, he moderated it, he put the criteria out there. Love it. And, you know, we have since we've, you know, it got to be too much, right? Obviously. And we appreciated it, but he said, hey, can you guys manage it? And obviously we were happy to. But this Facebook group, what you'll see is owners all over Canada and the United States that have been in the business for a long time and they'll come up on something they've never seen before, right? And so they'll they'll put it on there and you will see immediately some of the largest owners in our network on there. Hey, I know what that is. Here's my phone number. Give me I a love call. it. I'll through it. And, uh, and it also creates just a great forum for guys to share just the happiness that they're bringing to customers and the pride in their work right through pictures. And that's one of the unique things in this industry is it's, it's very photogenic, right? Nobody wants to see that your plumbing work, but man, right. when you look at the landscape industry, people <laughs> want to see a beautiful lawn and landscape, right? That's like, that's, that's beautiful stuff. Check out that lawn. That's right. So John, take us through the the process. Obviously, if a candidate comes to you, I send you a candidate. I make an introduction. You have a first phone call. Take us through that until until the investment happens. Yeah, sure. So uh, it's it's a pretty multi-pronged uh, approach, Lance. So what would happen is I would have an initial conversation with whoever that candidate was. And really, it's it's more of a get to know you, right? Like, uh, get to know a little bit about their background. Of course, I'm going to tell them some information about the grounds guys, right? And we're going to see if there's mutual interest there to even have a second conversation. Now, assuming that there is mutual interest there, uh, what we would do is we'd spend about an hour together. I would show all the different systems that we have in place uh, for the grounds guys, but I don't want them to believe anything that I'm telling them, Lance, right? I, I understand. So, uh, what I would do is I'd put them on the phone with some of our individual franchise owners, like some of the guys that we were talking about, anyone in the system that they want to chat with. Typically, they would have two, three of those conversations, whatever. Uh, we would also go back to those same owners, by the way, Lance, and we'd say, hey, how do you feel about this candidate? Do you feel like he'd be a great brand ambassador for us? Things like that. Assuming that we still have interest in each other at that point, uh, we pull up a map, we go over the demographics of the area, and we'd figure out in a worst case scenario, what size and type of business could we build, right? Assuming that we still had interest in each other at that point, I would get the candidate on the phone with one of our executives uh, for formal approval to attend what we call Meet the Team Day, Lance. And just so you know, 
our meet the team day at the grounds guys is not like most franchisors discovery days. Okay. This is not some big sales seminar. This is literally your opportunity to meet with the executive board. They are the ones that decide whether or not you get awarded the franchise. So we go to meet the team day. Uh, at the end of the meet the team day, I'm not going to say, hey, why don't you write us a check, right? That's not the way it works. You haven't been awarded the franchise. So I, about two days after meet the team day, I typically call the candidates and I say, hey, do you have any other questions regarding the grounds guys? At that point, the answer is probably going to be no, right? Because we spent several weeks together and they've talked with owners and they met with the executives. So yep. they probably don't have any, but if they do, I'll answer them. Uh, and then the final question that I'll ask the candidate is, are you ready for me to present you to the executive board for approval? And they'll say yes, right? At that point, Lance, my role really completely shifts. It goes from me presenting the grounds guys to the candidate. Now I'm presenting the candidate to the grounds guys, i.e. Josh, i.e. Pat Highland and some of the other executives, right? Uh, at the end of that board meeting, someone from the executive board will call that candidate and let them know the decision uh, that's been made. And there's really only three decisions, right? Either congratulations, you've been awarded the franchise, in which case we all throw a party, right? Because uh, that doesn't happen very often. Right. Uh, second thing that could happen would be a conditional approval. So they will be awarded the franchise, but maybe there's some on the background that we have to figure out or maybe it's contingent upon following a certain timeline or whatever it is. Uh, and then the third possible outcome would be a denial. But the thing that I love uh, about neighborly lands is that we're not just going to leave our candidates hanging, right? We're going to let them know exactly why, and we're going to steer them in a direction that we felt made more sense, given everything that we've learned about each other throughout the entire process. So Love it. in a nutshell, that's kind of how our process works. So let's talk about validation. A lot of people, um, I've explained before in other episodes, in case somebody's listening for the first time, you know, the franchise disclosure document has an item 19, which is an earnings claim that'll give you some information to build your business plan. And obviously you guys will help with some of those pieces. And then you have validation where you have an opportunity to talk to existing franchisees. Do you do that in a group format? Do you uh, ha- Tell me how you do validation. We do a little bit of both. So typically we invite our prospective candidates on a group call with one individual owner. It's a great way, especially for your first validation call, because you get to hear the questions from everybody else, right? Questions that you may not even have thought to ask. Uh, Eventually, though, we will put typically a candidate on the phone one-on-one with an owner so that they can have a more private conversation, right? And and of course, the owners can tell them things uh, financially, right, that that we legally cannot. So all we can say is what's in our item 19. We're very proud of our item 19, Lance. It's uh, it's it's significant revenue. I think I just want to echo, I think, Lance, something that you were implying earlier. And uh, and this is for listeners that are maybe thinking about going through um, a process with a franchise organization. Um, make sure that if you're going through that process, if you get the sense that uh, the franchisor, the, the development professional you're working with don't want you to engage with franchise owners in that particular system, that's a big red flag. Run. I'm, I'm passionate about uh, about that and making sure that we we are transparent. Uh, that is how you really understand and kind of lift the hood to make sure that there's an engine in there. It's by getting out and talking to owners. And so I, I encourage people not to shortcut that process because it's um, it's a healthy one. It's one you need to do. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, when it comes to the item 19, which is the earnings claim in the franchise disclosure document, tell me a little bit about 
how profitable people are and how well you can do as evidenced in that item 19. Yeah, sure. So one thing that I will say, Lance, is that we can only say what is actually in the item 19. So we can't speak uh, so much to profitability. We can't speak to margins, right? Because there's all these different uh, earnings claims laws through the Federal Trade Commission. Okay. What, what I will say, though, is, you know, our, our top territory last year did about 3.147 million, which is you know, pretty substantial, right? And uh, I'll, I'll say this average guy three years and over did about $703,000 last year. It, of course, we break it down even further from that, right? What, what about the guys that are three years and under? It's also a big number, Lance. What are your lows? They're also big numbers. So whenever we go through the FDD with our convert, through the FDD conversation, I should say, with our candidates, we really dive into all those different details so that they have a firm understanding of what revenue looks like. But honestly, Lance, it's more validated by the owners themselves. Whenever we go through and set up those calls with the owners, they'll, they'll have opportunities to get answers to a lot of those questions. Great. Great information. Well, gentlemen, this has been fabulous, but we have time for some final thoughts. Anything I missed today? The, the one thing that I would tell you is that there's no way we can encapsulate everything in half an hour, right? 40 minutes. Yeah, so, but, but I'll break it down to an analogy for you, Lance. You, you're familiar with golf, right? You play golf. Of course. Uh, Not so, very well, but I've played. So, so, Lance, here's the deal. If I could get you on the card at the Masters program, okay, golf's most prestigious event, I could give you one of two things, either the best set of clubs ever made or the swing of any player throughout history, and you get to choose a player, which one would you choose? The best clubs or the best swing? Best swing. All day, every day. Right. Because you and I both know that Tiger Woods can get on a plane and go to a garage sale, buy three clubs and beat the crap out of you make golf. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> here's why I bring that up. What does that have to do with franchising? Listen, every franchisor worth their salt are going to have really pretty clubs. Right. Oh, my gosh. Look at how great my marketing is. Look, look how great my recruiting retention programs are. And listen, neighborly is no different. We have the finest clubs out there. But at the end of the day, it's about our franchisees going out and playing the game, right? So what we want to really differentiate ourselves on is not be a club manufacturer. We want to be a swing coach. We want to come alongside of our owners, show them how to play the game, how to play it in a very, very big way. Does that make sense? I love it. I love it. Getting the swing of things. Yes, sir. Perfect. Josh, you get the final word today. Well, I would say yeah, that that was that was good, and I'm sitting over here feeling bad about my golf game after that analogy. <laughs> uh, I, so I, I won't have I don't have much. What I'll say is, you know, if anybody listening is interested in helping uh, maintain, enhance, and create the best looking lawns and landscapes in the community, uh, we'd love to talk to you. And and I think at the end of the day, at, at a minimum, you'd probably learn some interesting things by going through our process. Um, John and John's team are. Fabulous. They're the best that I have seen and, uh, and they're true professionals. So Lance, I want to thank you for, for having us on here today. Really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. So thank you. A absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you very, both very much. This, is, this has been fantastic. Look forward to speaking to you both again. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening today. Please like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss anything here at Ion Franchising. Visit our website at ionfranchising.com, E-Y-E-O-N franchising.com, and complete our free assessment so we can assist you in finding your perfect franchise. This is Lance Gralick. Until next time.